Alright. What are we talking about here? Oh man. We got a big episode, a lot to talk about. We are going to discuss some tennis. Tennis talk. Oh man, we've been talking about doing a tennis talk for a long while. The opportunity, it, it just seems like it now is the time. What a great title, man. Tennis talk? Tennis talk. Tennis talk. Just came yeah. just just now. Just came up with it. Uh yeah, trademark. Boom. It's ours. <laughs> Alright, so what are these from? Alright, so this one here is from the Ultimate Tennis League, and there's no way to really know, but it is one of the championship balls. I think it might have been from the first singles championship that I had, but it might also be from your, you and my, our, our doubles championship. Hmm. Okay. Um, remember when we beat that father and son? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel bad about that at all. The kid was 12, if 12. <laughs> He's going to be good. He's going to be better than his dad. Sure. <laughs> um, all right, what about this one? And that one is from the Australian Open. It's autographed by Rafael Nadal. I didn't know you had that. Yeah. You bought that on... Uh... No. So one of my friend's clients, there was something to do with Kia, would go every single year, and they brought that back, gave it to him. He knew I was a huge Nadal fan. He gave it to me. That's awesome. I also have the program autographed by Nadal. That's a great friend. Oh, yeah. None yeah. of my friends would do that shit for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, we got a lot to discuss. Uh, this is an ending of an era. Yeah. And we the damning of another era. That's true. Uh, it's All right, where should we start, man? Well, we're huge fans of tennis. Love it. Love it to death. We've played doubles together. We've played singles against each other. We've competed in, you know, ultimate tennis for a while, so shout out to them. Uh, great way to uh, compete recreationally. They just sent me an email yesterday or two days ago. Fifty percent off singles. Yeah, before the season starts. It's the way to go. We we should start doubles up again if we can, you know. But yeah, eventually soon. When my kids are in college, that's when I'll get full swing in tennis again. Uh, we both love playing on the clay. Yep. We've both grown up with tennis. Yep. Uh, well, both... I, I didn't grow up with tennis, but well, we, I we grew started... up to tennis. When did you start playing? Uh, I started playing after college. I was in my okay. first. Uh, I was in my first um, job, first postgraduate job, I guess. Um, you're just a baby. I started yeah, playing. Twenty-five, probably. I started playing my freshman to sophomore year in high school, but we're both self-taught. Yeah. And we could have been one of the greats Definitely. had we had instruction. Indeed. Yeah. I had a little bit of instruction. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say his name or anything, but alcoholic and fed my alcoholism. Uh, and, and one day it was pouring down rain. I had a little lesson we were going to set up, scheduled, and the rains, you know, hey, obviously can't play tennis. Let's go to Hooters. So we did. Oh, that's just a natural. Yeah, that's natural. Obviously, yep. Wings and pitchers and DUIs. So thank you very much. Mm. Okay, so so let's go into. Okay, so tell me your story. How, how did you get? In, how did you find tennis? And how did you come into it? And I'll tell you mine. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, I was I was already graduated from college, working in the first clinic that I ever worked in. It was an outpatient clinic. We had three TVs in the gym area, and they were always on sports, and it happened to be um, Wimbledon, Fortnite, 
you know, so there's Wimbledon all for two weeks going on in that in that gymnasium. Yeah, I'm paying attention as to who, you know, the rankings and the numbers and people. And obviously Roger Federer was the guy. He was number one in the world, 40-something, 50-something, 100-something weeks in a row. So what, um, what, is this like 2003, 2004? This was 2007. Oh, wow. Okay. This had to have been 2007. It actually might have even been 2008 because I think I was working there for a while. Um she could have been 2009. It was one of those 2008 or nine, we'll say. All right. Um, if we wanted to, we could look back and see because Federer was number one in the world for a long time. Nadal was playing as number two. Okay. And this tennis tournament went on to go uh, to, uh, to where they met in the finals. Uh, you started with Federer, the Federal and Nadal rivalry. Yes. You did not start with the Federer Rod Roderick. Roddick. No, uh, Federer no, Roddick. I was Roddick. after Federer and Roddick, okay. um, because Nadal was now knocking on the door. He had already, I think, been to the finals the year before, lost. He was back in the finals. Uh, no, 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 I take it back. This might have been the first time uh, that they met in the finals because I happened to. I, I ended up going to the Keys that week or that that year. And no, I take it back. A lot again. That was the next year because I had made a bet. On Federer to win, um, but this year I woke up on on Sunday morning, turned on the TV, and it happened to be on the channel that Wimbledon was playing the finals. Breakfast at Wimbledon. I'm like, you know, I ain't got anything better to do. This has been on for the last two weeks at work. It's number one versus number two. I'm gonna watch the match and see how it goes. And it, it was a good match, and Federer won. I thought, all right, I was pulling for Nadal because Federer was number one. I wanted to see the underdog. Nadal was also, you know, a teenager still probably, uh, 19. Maybe he was 20 years old at that point. Um, I didn't know I didn't know that really uh, or that much right. about him. Um, but it looked like an intense match. It was. It was great. Federer won, and I was disappointed. Thought I wanted number two. Uh, fast forward, not huh, too huh. far. Why, why were you pulling for Nadal? Because he was number two. He was the underdog. And Federer oh. had been number one in the world for probably for over a year. Well, yeah. Probably a so, hundred and something weeks. I, I forgot what his streak was, but it was insane. It was incredible. Yeah. So I just wanted to see disruption. Well, because it's just odd. It's odd because you play with a one-handed backhand. Yeah. But and I didn't know you are for a guy. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know who or what, how I played. I knew that I played with a one-handed backhand, but I didn't relate that to anybody other than just it felt natural to swing this thing one-handed. Or I had seen, you know, probably, probably Federer or some, you know, somebody with a one-handed backhand swinging away. Did Sampras hit with a one-handed backhand, right, or two hands? Who? Sampras. Sampras was one-handed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Sampras. And Federer were probably the guys that I was seeing hit around the time that I would have ever thought of swinging a tennis racket. So I went with one hand. Because I just And it felt natural. Um, just felt easier to swing it with one hand that way. Um, now, I started playing because I was still probably picking up football and out of the soccer fields with friends at times. Um, Whatever days we would do that, once or once a week, I would say, um, once every other week, whatever it was. But 
you know, to, to keep doing that was, was, we'll say it was getting hard, but just to get a bunch of people out there, that, that, that tends to be tricky. The clinic I worked at wanted to start a, uh, a benefit to lose weight and inspire the people, the employees to, to live healthier, be healthier and to lose weights. So they gave a 12 month biggest loser competition. Whoever could lose the most percentage body weight for 12, in a 12 month period uh, was going to win uh, a good prize, thousand dollar prize, one mm. time, like cash, thousand dollars cash. There was a second place, four hundred or four hundred and fifty dollar prize, and then a third place, maybe two hundred dollar prize. At the time it started, I thought, well, I'm not going to work out and try to lose weight for this thing, but I'm going to weigh in every month. Why not? Come around six months in. Um, I had taken a, a month-long sabbatical from alcohol and happened to drop 15 pounds. <laughs> Imagine and, that. Yeah, right? I'm like, oh, that's curious how that happened. The only thing I can relate is the alcohol, but all of a sudden I'm in the top six. Five of those six people were women, and I thought, well, I could probably, I could probably lose actually lose weight here because i'm looking at some of the women that were in there and they were already skinny so or already thin or thinned out so then i'm like all right let's keep not drinking beer and just drink uh more just you know i, I looked and saw i'm like bourbon seems to be pretty clean um or lower <laughs> carbs lower sugar than some of the other things go figure maybe i'm wrong but uh, that's what I remember reading then. So now, now I'm drinking bourbon, um, when, and you know, mix it with water because I didn't want to put it with soda too often. Um, then somebody said, well, "Why don't you drink it straight up on the rocks, or, or you know, not on the rocks?" So I did that, and I'm like, "Well, that that worked out real well." That's a story for a different time, I, I think. But. Um, then I thought, well, what can I do that's not exercise that's going to get me moving? And that's when tennis... That's not exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when tennis... Well, and here, here was my thought. Because I didn't want to lift weights because I didn't want to put on muscle weight. Mm -hmm. Right? So now, come around and figure I would have still... I would have still been able to lose weight and probably even like gain muscle without putting on so much mass that it would have affected my weight loss in the six months that I had left. But I came to tennis. I'm like, let me play tennis. A couple of the people here working, they'll come out and play too. And my friends, so we did. We started playing tennis. And I've always been like big on how do I look while I'm out here playing tennis? Do I look mm -hmm. like I'm like I belong here? I wanted to make sure that I didn't look like a buffoon because I'm watching my friends play. I didn't want to look like that. <laughs> I wanted to be better, but I also wanted to look better. I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing. So, watch a little bit more tennis. Um, see how are they swinging? How are they serving the ball? All right? And, you know, one thing leads to another. Started doing that. Patient comes in. He's got to get his knee better because he's got to make it and, and be better for his playoffs. Like playoffs? His tournament? What, what playoffs? He was in the Ultimate Tennis League. I'm like, oh, really? Different skill levels. You can start at whatever and go and move up as you get better. Oh, I see. Uh, so that's when I, I started 
getting into the Ultimate Tennis League and started playing more competitively, learning, and picked up that pro for like three or four lessons maybe. Um, then just just kept playing, kept learning, kept kept reading. You know, I read I read the tennis handbook. Um, but the competitor and you came out. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, I wanted story. to I wanted to keep on. I wanted to get better and I wanted to compete. I wanted to play in tournaments. I, I wanted to see if I could actually play and win tournaments. And sure enough, at, at the lower levels, two five. Nice. I didn't even have people for the tournament. Three zero. Now we got a little bit of a tournament. Three five. Definitely competitive, four rounds to get through at the end of the season. Had to make the tournament after after playing seven matches, seven seven weeks, um, and then played through three five. Got and the that, win. That's that's roughly around the same time that we met. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so so interesting that you said. So Sampras was not as dominant as Federer, but my favorite tennis player of all time. He was the nineteen nineties quintessential tennis. Him and Agassi. Yeah. And he owned Wimbledon at the yeah. time. I mean, he won 14 major titles. Yeah. Which was the player. most at all, of all time right. at his time. Right. And he did it. And he owned Wimbledon. And he beats Federer, I think, 99. Loses the Federer, 2000. This young upstart, you know, kid, Swiss kid, you know, Federer. Pretty good. Looks pretty good. 2001, I want to say Leighton Hewitt won. Leighton Hewitt was going to be a sensation. Still a great player. Mm -hmm. But never won after that, uh, another major. Uh, then Federer comes alive. And he looks, I didn't like him at first. At first, I, I mean, I liked his, his tennis play. But I wanted to see the American, Roddick. Big yeah. serve, oh, yeah. hard forehand. But to be honest with you, backwards hat. The back. Well, I didn't care. I didn't give a shit about that. I, I didn't like you know Ronick style, but as far as you know his look. But I'm a, I'm an American, damn it, and I'm patriotic about sports. Yeah. And I wanted Ronick to maintain you know the United States stature and tennis, and if not him, Marty Fish, huge Marty Fish fan, huge. Before he was when he was just a regular guy on the tour. Still loved it. Loved it. His comeback, his 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 return to dominance. Loved Marty Fish. But and again, I'm a Sampras guy through and through. Federer looks looked great. I mean, great returner. He he shut Roddick. Roddick could not touch Federer. And he dominated up until you know. And then all of a sudden, the emergence of Nadal. So I remember that whole mm -hmm. thing. Now I'll tell you my my origination story. I'm a freshman, I think it's after my freshman year, in between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, and we had just moved to uh, this uh, part of the neighborhood. It was a nicer area of the neighborhood uh, from where we were before, and right behind us, we had, uh, unbeknownst to me, there was a family. There were uh, three kids. There was an older son who was, at that time, leaving college, becoming a teacher, and two sons that happened to be identical twins. Uh, and they all play tennis. The father was a tennis teacher at a local high school. And guess what? That summer, turn on the telly, there's Wimbledon. Ooh. I'm watching Wimbledon for that entire summer. I'm like, 
this looks like a lot of fun. You know, if you watch tennis, really any sport, but particular tennis, you get this itch. And you just, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. You want to get out there and play. Right. It's so contagious. And you become obsessive almost, you know. And I want to go play, but I, I don't have any equipment. And I run into my neighbors. And they're the nicest family I've ever met in my life. You know, it, as long as you don't, I, just because I wouldn't want to name them. No, I don't name them either. It's funny because that our, our tennis origin stories intertwine with that family. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad, but that's true. But yeah. So they're like, you know, the father was like, here, take my racket. Now, I didn't know necessarily that was his racket. They just gave me a racket. And it was a head. And I went out there and I, you know, just hit, hit by myself and just played. And I was like trying to mimic what I saw on the television. And, you know, I had some kids like pick on me and stuff like that, you know, uh, just, just a part of the neighborhood that we're in. And um, I'm just messing around, learning. And unfortunately, those twins, uh, well, fortunately for them, they, they were very good at tennis. And they got scholarships to, to, I want to say, to like a school in Tennessee. And they went to play tennis. But unfortunately, uh, their father had cancer and could no longer support the family, was going through treatment, lost all his hair, was in bad shape. So they forego their scholarship that year and moved back to town so they could work and take care of their father and their mother and uh they worked you know odd jobs and tennis pros and whatnot and then within that year i'll never i'll never forget this he lost all the father lost all his hair so they shaved their heads you know to be with their dad and this is where i think that you know they suffered with alcoholism and drug abuse too and i think this is part of why um he passed away Mm-hmm. Lost his bout to cancer. And um, they tried to go back to college, but at that point, a year or a year and a half had passed by. Their scholarship was gone. They, they, we were, they came from a poor area like I did, so they couldn't afford to go to school. So they just stayed home, tried to take care of their mom, work, and they now they're tennis pros. And that's probably when they started really getting involved and became alcoholics and drug, drug users. And apparently their older brother was really good. Like he, he could have went on the qualifying tour, but because he didn't have money, he couldn't Ooh. afford to compete. But I dabbled with it and I dabbled with it in college and I had a friend and you know, a girlfriend and we used to play and whatnot. And after college, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still in grad school. I go to grad school and I start playing. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can get better. I get better. I'm getting better. I get better. Competitor comes out of me. And once you start playing, you get that itch, you really start to love it. And then you just, I don't know, you start off, you're lousy as hell. And then you start getting better and you start saying, I can do this. I can do this. And that's it. And now you're sucked in and you're a test yeah. player. And you move up the ranks, right? That's right. That's right. And then that's when we met. Yeah. And, uh, you know, children will keep you from playing as much tennis as you want, unfortunately. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's still the best time. I definitely have to say, 
I never wanted kids because I knew how selfish I was. I was, I was, yeah, or am, and uh, I knew that I wanted to do what I want to do, and I don't want to spend my time raising children. So I did not want children, but when I had children, um, whoops, had children, <laughs> I, I, I did, I couldn't play as often, or and now I don't, I hardly play at all anymore. Um, I don't, I'm not upset about that. Like, that doesn't bother me. Like, I thought it would. But then when my sons started playing, I would take them out and play. I have more fun watching them play than I have ever had playing myself. I don't know why that is. I think it's nature's, like, you know, like, they're fucking with me. I have more, I have more fun watching my kids play and enjoy the, uh, a sport than I ever did playing myself. But nevertheless, we grew up watching Federer. Yeah. And I did not like Federer at first either because I wanted Roddick to win. But when I realized, well, all Roddick has is a big serve and a strong forehand. One strong, one shot, one forehand. Federer, when he was beating Roddick, it wasn't because he was out hitting him. Uh, well, I should take that back. It wasn't because he was overpowering him or hitting winners. He was outlasting Roddick. Roddick couldn't hit the ball back as many times as Federer could before making a mistake. So Federer was just about attrition. He was just playing with less error, which irritated me at first. But now you come to appreciate that. Yeah. More consistent. Yeah. And then Nadal comes. And Nadal's like, not only am I not going to make error, and not only am I not going to hit as hard as anybody else, I'm going to outrun you. So I appreciate that about about a dog. Like, damn it! Yeah, I, 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 I love Federer. You know, love him. <clears throat> Nadal doesn't hit a serve as hard as the hardest servers, but his forehand is as hard as anybody else hits. He's not too far off from hitting as hard as them, and he's hitting it with his non-dominant arm. Yeah, he's not too far off from hitting it as heavy as they do. I mean, don't get me wrong; he hits a fast serve. And a hard serve, but he's not known for being the heaviest server in the game, no. uh, or amongst the talks of the heaviest servers. But his forehand certainly is. He, but he's got the heaviest topspin. Yeah, he will whip that forehand. He will crank and dial it up, heat it up, and spin the fuck out of it. But you know what? You know what goes without saying. The tennis world is aware of this. The reason why he hits so many shots with his forehand is because everybody stays away from his backhand. Mm-hmm. His backhand is his best side, right. and it's better than ninety percent of the other pros. Yeah. So, and and that they did that for a reason. He's right-handed. Right. He learned to play lefty because his right hand was going to help him on the two-handed backhand. Yeah. Whereas Federer's right-handed and hits with a, a, a one-handed forehand and a one-handed backhand. Definitely, the one-handed backhand gives you more flexibility. More reach, but it doesn't give you the power. You know, right. what I mean? you know. Whereas a two-handed backhand, you can make up for that reach with your mobility, and you can, you can hit the ball, hit the fuck out of the ball, and that's what Nadal does. Yeah. And because of that, people are like, well, "We're going to go to the forehand," and his forehand is a uh, non. It's it's unorthodox. Right. Because it's his non-dominant arm. Yeah. But he invented a new style of forearm. That gives him more revolutions per and topspin than any other player that ever lived. Unbelievable. 
They talking about that the lasso, the lasso whip, or the ole, the ole, yeah. But here's the thing that we need to we need to mention. We talked about Roddick. Mm -hmm. Sampras was great because he had that huge serve. Yeah. He would serve and volley. Serve and volley. Yep. And when he went away, it was now serve and rally. Yeah. You know, from the baseline. That's what Federer was. That's what. Nadal was, that's what all of them are. Now they're starting to volley a little bit, but the volley was gone. It went away. Roddick tried it, but he tried to rally. He should have probably volleyed more often because he just yeah, wasn't so. consistent. Right. And he wasn't faster than any of them. But they figured out, Federer figured out first, how am I going to return this 130, 140 mile an hour serve? And then Nadal figured that out too by backing 10, 15 feet off the baseline. Right. And everybody follows suit. Now they're figuring, and then, and then of course, Federer, the genius that he is, he figured out, I don't have to stand 15 feet back. Now I'm going to savor you. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite strategies ever in tennis. It's clever. Oh, the guy is really? sneaky. For me, I have the hardest time saying who the GOAT is because I grew up with Sampras. Yeah. And I definitely think that he had a huge amount of competition in his wake. But how can I not say Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are the GOAT? Djokovic will probably take the title. But, damn it, man. Those three, and they're all competing against each other? Right. I mean, man. It's unbelievable. It's just unreal. There is always a lot of competition amongst the men's side. And we, we've been watching Federer for over 20 years. Yeah. Be out there, be, be the best, be one of the best, one of the best top two well, most I mean, of his career. Would you, would you say that he's retiring outside of the top five, outside of the top ten? Well, first let's just... Make, let's let's follow up with what we alluded to at the beginning. Roger Federer announced his retirement two days ago. Yeah, so sad. Two days ago. So that came not as a great big shock because we knew it was coming eventually, but he hadn't played all year and he was saying that he was going to try to come back in October and now in September has retired. So <clears throat> we... we did not get to see a real farewell tour, a real farewell goodbye, and unfortunately. But is he outside the top five? I mean, based upon where he falls in the ranks, yeah, he's, he's not been playing. He's not been getting points. He's outside. But, no, I don't think he's outside the top five in, in skill or based upon when we last saw him. I think he was in the top three or in the top five. But I do still think he was better than the other guys that were out there. Um, I think he's retiring on top. Yeah, I guess. I really do. Uh, and that's just because, you know, maybe it's because I'm biased, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, that, that's a harder argument to, to pull off, because Djokovic has been number one for a long time. Federer could still compete with Djokovic. Oh, not only just compete, but find his way into the semis, the quarters yeah. of the semis. Yeah. So I, I think that he's retiring on top. You know, he could have probably retired a little earlier, but he went as far as he could go. Yeah. And I think Nadal, I think Nadal's probably going to retire this afternoon. 
I do. And I think Nadal's also retiring at the top. Right now, as it stands, he is the GOAT. Yeah. If you look at titles. He's got the most titles. Mm -hmm. What do you got? 21, 22? 22, I think. 22, I believe. And what's Federer at? Federer is 21. Yep. And, and Djokovic, Djokovic is has 21. Yeah, and Djokovic is... Or did Djokovic tie? He's did Djokovic going to, tie? Oh, I think he... I don't think... No, I think he's one behind Nadal. And I think he's probably going to smash it because he's got a few more years of competition if he's allowed to compete. I'm just going to look it up. I want right. to make sure that we have our, well, our facts straight. We want to say goodbye to Federer. Federer inspired us to play tennis. It was awesome to watch him play these last 20 years. I can't speak highly enough about him. I thought the guy was just classy. I thought he was sophisticated, yet approachable. Um, I think he not only popularized tennis but um, and brought it to more of the mainstream, but you could certainly learn from him tremendously when you watch him. And I think the same thing is true of Nadal. Nadal, in my opinion, brought a lot of global attention to tennis and is an extremely likable, lovable player. You can't but love the guy. Yeah, he's very humble, mm -hmm. very soft-spoken, almost bashful sounding. He's not polarizing. He's more, he's so lovable. Karyos yeah. is pol polarizing. Yeah. But Djokovic polarizing. So here's the list. I have Nadal at 22, as we said. Djokovic with 21, mm -hmm. and Federer with 20. Oh, Federer has 20. He has 20. Yeah, he never broke that. That actually, I remember when he got the 20. Uh, I almost think did he win the French to get his 20, or did he win the win? I couldn't remember. That was a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, Federer uh, loved watching you. It wasn't my entire life. We got one French Open. And I have to say, we, you will be missed heavily. Um, but now the next chapter of your life is open. And I can't wait to see uh, what your kids have to offer if they play. Um, and Nadal, if, you know, I don't know. I think Nadal is probably going to retire. What do you think? Certainly in the next two years, if not next year. Yeah. I just can't see him continue the battle injury. Yeah. Doing the grind. He just got married. Um, you know, he's getting up there too. And he can still retire on top. And Djokovic is going to smash the record if he's allowed to play. So let's go on to the next. Uh, well, also, let's say goodbye to Serena. It was yeah. awesome to watch her play. Also retired this year before the U.S. Open announced it. She, she, this would be her last tournament. Now is she the GOAT? The female GOAT? This is going to get contentious. This is, this is a big argument. Um, again, Serena, we recently looked up her titles. She is mm -hmm. tied with Margaret Court or one behind Margaret Court. I can't look it up again. I can't remember. <laughs> Um, I think she's tied with Margaret Court. Go ahead and look it up. I think so. I think you're right. I think she's tied. She came out and said that, you know, she should have 30 titles and therefore be the GOAT. But the problem is she doesn't have 30. Right. And she took a two or three year sabbatical to do other things. And you could make that Michael Jordan argument that had she stuck, stuck around, she probably would have won a few more, which is what she's saying that she would, that, that would happen. 
But the fact of the matter is, it didn't happen. So if we're going to define the GOAT as one who wins championships. Okay, so Margaret Court has 24, right. Serena Williams has 23. Okay, she's tied with um, oh Andre Agassi's wife, right? What's her name? Uh, Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf. No, Steffi's got two. 22? 22, yeah. Steffi Graf was an unbelievable player and probably would have broken Margaret Court's uh, record had she not retired early. She retired uh, young. Um, and she just stepped away from it because it was just too much. It was time for her. It was time for her emotionally and mentally to step down. But she was definitely up there as far as one of the greatest of all time. She yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But so they 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 do have some. They divided them a little bit uh, into the open era and the A era. What's the A for? No. Oh, I probably I don't know the, the beginning. I don't know. I don't know, um, but anyway, um, so Margaret Court has 13 AEs and 11 Open Era titles. Her Serena obviously has all of them in the Open Era. Mm -hmm. um, well, that would be 24. Same as uh, What's that? That would be 24. What? 11 and 13. Well, it is, yeah, that is, that is, and they consider that to be I mean, major titles, because they're still the major titles. The same argument is applied to, uh, to uh, Rod Laver. Rod mm -hmm. Laver didn't play in the open air, and he won a ton. So a lot of people consider Rod Laver the GOAT because had you looked at him within the open air, he would have had a ton of titles. But the problem they with that... They did divide the, the men's list as well. And, yeah. and I don't, he wasn't at the top. I mean, Sanders was still above Rod Laver. Well, but that's what I'm saying. He was yeah. considered... So, but the, but the bottom line is is that the new GOAT is, is going to be Djokovic, most likely. Right now, the goat, the reigning goat, is Nadal, or the reigning, you know, person with most champions. I don't know that you would just call them the goat because they've got the most titles. That's where that's where it's um, open for for interpretation. That they also held on to the number one spot for the longest period yeah. of time. Look at the uh, the the time, uh, the amount of time they played, the competition that they mm -hmm. played. I mean, it's much more global now. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's get back to Serena. Margaret Court, in my opinion, is not appreciated for the titles that she won. Twenty. We're talking about men's tennis. Yeah, there's more parity in men's tennis. Mm -hmm. Twenty titles is rough. Twenty-two titles, harder, very hard. Twenty-four titles, holy shit, that's a lot. Yeah. And Margaret Court did it with competition. She played yeah. against Chrissy Evers, and she played against. The Billie Jean Kings, and she she played against other very extremely talented women tennis players. So I feel like she's underappreciated. I really Absolutely. do. I agree. And and Serena, if you want that title, if we're saying that, and I mean we've talked about this with Tom Brady in football. Mm -hmm. If you want that title being the goat, it's not enough to be the statistic champion. Right. You have to be, you know, the champion champion. Right. When it comes down to it, do I think she would have got 30 titles? Maybe. Do I think she would have gotten 24, 25 if she didn't take off the three years, both when she was doing her, uh, after she had her child, of course, but then the previous one where she took time off for her uh, fashion line. Fashion line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she would have gotten easily 24, 25, 26, but she didn't. And well, she nobody, came back. And nobody she could got touch her. On top of her game. Who could have touched her? when she got to the brink. She still had the talent. Yeah. But what happened? The only person that could have contested her at that time was Venus. 
Yeah. They were they were the best in the game. They were the best, and she was kind of smashing Venus around. She was. She was smashing everybody. She was yeah. young, she's young, she yeah. was quick, she was powerful, and then everybody caught up. And that's what you see. You see these, uh, and you don't see as much parody in female tennis as you do in, you know, with men. The competition's a lot steeper. I definitely agree with McEnroe, and I know a lot of people get pissed off about this. Serena is not the greatest tennis player of all time. She can't be, because I don't think she could beat a, a, a man in the top 25. I agree. It's two different games. It's apples and oranges. Right. They go five sets. Right. They hit harder. There's more power on the serve. There's a lot more variety to the game. That's why she dominated for so long, because she was fast and powerful. Yeah. Now these, these young bloods are just as fast, just as powerful. I don't think she could beat men in the top 25. So she's she's one of the greatest female tennis players ever, no doubt. I don't think she's the GOAT for female tennis because I like to say she is. I really would. I would love to be able to say that. But the bottom line is I can't say that without impunity. With, with impunity, I mean. Um, I would have liked to see her have the grit to make it, to do it. Yeah, to get there to because she's right. She was in how many finals that she's lost. She had like four opportunities yeah. to do it, and and unfortunately, what I was shocked about was she never she never seemed to be bothered by pressure. Until but, she got to the twenty three mm, wins. As soon as she got to the twenty third championship, she went into the twenty fourth championship. Yeah. to win to potentially tie. Yeah. She, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I can't imagine because I. Well, I mean, she broke down against uh, Osaka in the first U.S. Mentally, you mean, mentally broke down and just was screaming out the official or the chairman. Just, yeah. just totally, totally, just such a bad look. Well, you can just tell the pressure just added yeah. up. Yeah. But so there's a documentary on Marty Fish called uh, I think it's called uh, Breaking Point. It's on Netflix. Awesome documentary. And in this documentary, he talks about the mental anguish and the uh, mental health crisis that he went through to be a competitive tennis player. And Marty Fish was never, I mean, he had pressure, but he didn't have the kind of pressure that Serena had. I cannot imagine that amount of mental and emotional fatigue. Oh, yeah. In addition to the physical fatigue. Right. So, okay. But guess what? Margaret Court went through that same thing. At, at a different era in time, I understand, but she went through the same thing. And she she got 24 titles. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. You know? There's a reason why the greatest of all time is, is uh, praised the way they are, because they put up with all of that. Yeah. You know? So, but anyway... It's going to be sad to see her go, too, because I loved watching Serena. Yeah. She, she, she's a great tennis player. Her sister's a great tennis player. And it's the end of an era. And hopefully this next era of tennis is just as great as the previous era, which was just as great as the era before. As, as history has shown, it just keeps getting better. Who, who are you excited about? As far as the next level in tennis? Well, 
right now everybody is all about Alcaraz. Oh yeah. I haven't watched him play enough, um, so I can already see I can already see how it's going to go. I'm not a fan. Oh, why? Because there's comparisons to Nadal. He's uh, Spanish. He's coming up. He's good. He's fast. There's only one Nadal. That's all wonderful, but there's only one Nadal. Yeah. Nope, and he is not it. Again, I've only watched him play one match, and he lost. And he lost that match. So I'm like, well, this there's your there's your next go, right? Okay. He's now, 19. He's good. I know. He's good. He's young. Nadal won a 17, but who's counting ages, right? <laughs> Federer, how old was he when he won? 17. Okay. Well, here, here's the thing. Alcarez, these these young bloods, man, their fitness is, is there. Yeah. Tennis is life. Alcarez, you only need to watch him once. I don't care if he lost or not. Tennis is far more demanding. You not only need to be powerful, you have to be fast. you got to cover the whole court. Yep. Which people didn't have to cover the whole court back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You had to be good at the net. Then in the nineties, you got to be able to cover the court. Not as much as you do now. I mean, that's what made Nadal so special. Yeah, he he could cover the entire court for wherever he was. Drop shot him. I don't care. He's gonna get that ball. Yeah, and he never gives up. And he never gives up. He fights for every point, which is way different than the eras before him. Alvarez is consistent. He's powerful, he's fast, and he fights for every point. He outplayed Tiafo in the U.S. Open because he hit through attrition. Yeah. He didn't get worse. Tiafo got tired. He was gassed. And then basically just had to give in. He gave in to that. Yeah. Which sucks for me because, again, I'm very patriotic when it comes mm-hmm. to my American tennis players. I want to see Tiafo make that next step. I want to see him beat Alcaraz. And get to the finals. Because maybe he would have won it. Yeah. You've been cheering for Tiafo for several years now. I, um, I like Tiafo a lot. I like his... Uh, he's got a special little whip on his forehand, too. But he's got to bring more to the table, and he's got to get his fitness better. Um, I'm a huge Fritz fan, and I'm really excited to see what Opeka can offer. I think everybody is, because he's so tall. And, yeah. he's being, you know, he's got a lot of Sampras-like right. characteristics. I think I like... Alcaraz looks great. He looks Fritz. I like Fritz. Uh, I think Opeka is just going to be at at best another uh, John Isner. I hope not. But um, that's nothing. Nothing gets John Isner. No, uh, I just, they're just so tall. I, I mm. feel like they're a little too tall to be to be the best. So be, you think there's like a, a sweet spot that you need to be yeah. at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, six one, six two, six three. That's about that's that's the height. That's where you want to be. You start wow. getting to six five, six six, six seven. Those are long legs to move that body around the court and to get to the balls to get deep to dig them out when you need to. Sure, you're uh, you've got that reach above. You've got this power to come down on that ball. But I've but, never understood that argument. Oh, big guys can't run. Oh, big guys. It's not that they can't run. It's that they can get getting there and then. Being able to maneuver yourself low enough in the need that you got to get low to dig that ball out right before it hits the ground. Yeah, but the way they kick that ball now, I mean, you would be smart if you just sliced them and kept the ball low. Right. You know, but the way they kick the ball now on topspin, that ball 
is coming up to you know the shoulders of a lot of these players. These six footers, these six yeah, two. Yeah, I'm not talking about a super heavy top spin. Well, I mean, but that I mean, we were talking about Nadal. His ball, his ball kicks right. Up. So, do so from my perspective. I think the taller athlete can handle it. Now it's not coming up to their shoulders. It's going to stay in their striking zone. And maybe instead of stepping forward to take it early, they step back so it comes up to their sweet spot. But I don't know. I think. I think there's room for Opeka, and I'd love to see him serve in volley like he's been coached. Yeah. I'd love to see, but, but again, like you said, we have to see if that's going to translate. Right. But I think the most the player I'm excited about the most is Fritz. Taylor Fritz and Kopeka. Uh, oh, love those two. Yeah. And they're about 6'3". The Americans, I'm, I'm shooting for, for Fritz. Um, Opeka's t- the taller one. He's not 6'3", yeah. is he? No, no, uh, Kopeka. Oh, Kopeka. Kopeka, not Opeka. Okay. I might yeah. be saying his name wrong. Gotcha. Kopka or Kopka. 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 Yeah. Kopka is like I think he's like six two, six three. Yeah, he looks pretty good too. And his whole family is. Uh, yeah. Are he he actually he may he may even be better than Fritz. Oh, but I um, love I love both of their mm-hmm. attitude yeah. and their insight. They're like fuck it, we are going to bring American tennis back. I hope That's they what do. I want to hear. I hope they do. Yeah. Because I, I was hoping that would be the case in Harrison, Ryan Harrison. And he kind of fizzled a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he was also, I mean, he was like 5'10", 5'11". You know, it takes me to the same, down the same thought as um, MLS or soccer, American soccer, American tennis. Are we losing, well, not losing, but are our greatest athletes playing other sports? Like mm-hmm. football, basketball. Well, we never had soccer. We've never been we've never been a powerhouse at soccer. But I think you're right. I think we're losing athletes to other sports. Okay. Yeah, I think so. You know, but it's a hard argument because tennis used to be a country club sport. Mm-hmm. Um, like golf. Right. And then it kinda came to the mainstream and to, you know, the poor streets like mine. And so you saw more kids playing and more uh, accessibility to, to play tennis. Now though, um, Maybe we are losing those athletes to sports like golf because golf was still a country yeah. club sport when tennis became mainstream, but now that's been brought to everybody. Right. So maybe we're losing them to golf and baseball and soccer and football and basketball. I don't know. Um, regardless, I also think that we don't train our tennis players as well as we as say the Spanish are, or the Russians are, or the Aussies are. They're yeah. they are fitter. They run more. They can outrun us. They outlast us because they have the endurance. They have power. And they have a little bit more variety. And I'll go back. And, and I know I'm probably, you know, repeating myself. But you look back at Roddick. 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 Mm-hmm. Rod, Andy Roddick. He was thought to be the second coming of Pete Sampras because he had that powerful serve. Right. He had a stronger serve than Sampras. Yeah. And he could get to the net and volley. But Federer changed, this, you know, flipped the script on him and said, I'm just going to return it. I'm just going to get it back to you and I'm yeah. going to outlast you. So American tennis has been predicated on so many times on hit a hard serve and hit a hard forehand. But that's not the way tennis went. Tennis was, I'm going to run all over the court. I'm going to outlast you, be more consistent, and I'm still going to hit with power. Every other country's done that, but we're still concentrating on that. On that in America, no, we need to get back with the times. Let's right. 
let's show them how athletic we are. James Blake just went for hit for winners all the time. Marty Fish, great player, just not as consistent as everybody else. You know, and he, he kind of talked about that in his documentary. He was happy to be just a, you know, a regular tennis player doing the tour. And then when he wanted to be more competitive, he had to be more consistent and lose weight and be faster. But again, he became so obsessed about it, it affected his mental health. He's, these kids across the world are learning that from a young age. So they're coming into tennis with that already, that athleticism. It's not about hitting 140 miles an hour. It's about, can I return to surf? Right. So, the other thing we had alluded to, we just took a deep dive after... Hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to say this real quick. You grew up loving the doll with a one-handed backhand. Yep. I grew up loving Sampras and Federer, <laughs> and I played with the two-handed backhand. Go with the irony. Well, yeah. but to, in all fairness, I did start off with a one-handed, one-handed backhand. I had a very good one in the backhand. I sliced the ball very well, whether it was through, you know, your typical topspin backhand or through, you know, uh, the slicing backhand. It always sliced on me. But I just had more power and consistency with the two-handed backhand. And uh, I think it depends on the player. It depends on what you're comfortable with. I think you should know how to do both. I'll be completely honest with that. Um, But I just had to bring that irony to the table. Yeah, I had tried the two-handed backhand, um, you know, and I know how I'm supposed to hit it, but I just, I drive it into the net with so much topspin that it's just, it, it's like, well, do I want to take the time to polish this up a bit? I should probably, but I've just been so much more free and loose with that single-hand backhand um, that to, to try to really change it or try to develop the other side would take away from time spent developing more on the single hand back end. So I just never got never uh, got beyond it. I've seen it. I, yeah. I'm just telling you, if you did spend the time to polish it, it wouldn't take you that long because it's a beautiful backhand and you generate so much topspin, which is hard to do on a two-handed backhand. So a lot of people hit it flat. But you generate so much topspin that that two-handed backhand would be ideal. It would you be just, something to see coming over the net and off the ground. The oh, it would be great. You just would have to. You just gotta figure out how to push it over, elongate right. that a little bit, so it drops over the net, not at the net. If you can figure that out, your two-handed backhand would be, would definitely be the better choice because you are inconsistent with your backhand, like most most uh, your your normal tennis player, and yeah. that's why Nadal learned to play as a lefty because they knew that the backhand was the weakest part of of every tennis player. Federer, if you play if you're playing Federer, what Nadal figured out is hit towards his backhand because his forehand is that good, but his backhand yeah. is the weaker shot. So, you know, and that's why a lot of people hit the Djokovic's forehand because his backhand is that good. Yeah. So I would say to you, you know, I, it's worth the time if you're looking to advance yourself, especially in the consistency. Otherwise, if you're not, get that one-handed backhand that more consistent. Yeah, I would rather get the one-handed backhand more consistent I because I just like the way it looks better. <laughs> I love the way a single-handed backhand just follow through, opens up, and it just is a thing of beauty. It is. I mean, it Federer is does it 
better than anybody else out there. Well, Bob Rico is not bad either. He's not bad, but Shapovalov is much better. Shapovalov is the next best, and he's got a real whip on his. Oh yeah, I do like that. But I mean, there's no, there is nobody in the game who has the finesse and just the the all around look of Federer. Uh, well, the game just, is so pretty and so sweet. He's, I mean. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for Sampras, there would be no Federer. If there was no Sampras or Agassi, there would be no Federer. If it wasn't for Federer, there, there would be no Nadal. If right. there was no Federer and Nadal, or there would be no Djokovic. Right. And Djokovic himself said, "I want to serve. I want to serve like Sampras, and I want to hit like Agassi." And you can see it in his game. And that's, I mean, those are two great giants to stand up. You know. Absolutely. I mean? All right. So, you want to talk about barefoot running? Well, the other issue that we're looking at right now in tennis still is the is they're not letting Djokovic play. Oh, completely agree. Like, how are we watching a man at twenty one titles? He's one behind the guy ahead of him who's still playing. Both of them are still playing, and they're not letting him play tournaments. Yeah, not injured. Not injured. Number one in the world. Potentially the greatest tennis player of all time. Could make an argument. Some of, one of the best athletes on the face of this planet. Yep. Because he's not vaccinated. Yep. But he's had COVID. Uh-huh. So, and we've talked about immunity time and time again. He has the antibodies. Yeah. He, he's got, he said COVID. He does. And he's fit and healthy. And yet we're keeping him from playing tennis. I mean, come on. What are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Breakthrough infections were not supposed to be common. But guess what? They became common yeah. with COVID. So you can't tell me that a vaccinated person is better off than an unvaccinated person. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's literature that will argue that. So why is he not playing? I don't know. I don't know how they can justify it and go back and say and not let him play. Like there's it, it's just it's it's ludicrous. It is completely ludicrous. Let that man play, man. I mean, we we want to see some good tennis. He's gonna bring good, he's gonna bring that tennis level to the next step, and let him show the world whether or not he is the greatest. Yeah, I wish. Hopefully, they do. Um, now that good? being said, I am. Still hoping that Nadal finishes with more titles. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Djokovic is just that good. And I don't know if any of the new guys, maybe Medved, but I don't know if anybody else that could really touch touch Djokovic and keep him from winning another title in the next five years. Not at this point. No. He's going to have to retire or be barred. Yeah. And part of me wonders... If this is retaliation because he started a, a, a tennis union, that would be. I wonder how much that has to do with yeah. it. Which the tennis community did not want a union. They did. They fought Billie Jean King when she formed the Women's Tennis Association and and coalesced the the, the female tennis players together. And they were not happy about Djokovic forming a players' union as, either. And so that was a year ago when he started that and he formed it. And he's fighting for the unity. He's always been that type of person. 
you know, he's all he's patriotic. He cares about the uni unity of the Serbians. He cares about the unity of the tennis world as well. So he formed a union against the uh, the remarks of the tennis of the tennis associations, the you know, the people that control it. And he's fighting for more pay, better amenities, better work environments for tennis players that are coming up, or the tennis player that is not within the top 25. So I wonder how much of this is used as a COVID excuse, instead of retaliation for his uh, his unionization of tennis. You know that would make I think the most sense. It, it does it, when you put it like that. It does sound like a retaliation. It doesn't tactic. make sense. It's bullshit to me. Well, it doesn't make sense, but that could be at least perspective as to what the tennis, what what they're doing, why they're doing this to Djokovic. Right. You know because I don't think that they would do it because of any don't want to let him win, you know, 24, 25 titles. Don't want him to win the most titles of all time. But, you know, making a statement that you don't do outside of what, what we want to have done. You don't take things in player leagues or player unions into your own hands. That's not what the ATP is about and what everything of that. So, but it's still wrong. It's yeah. Still wrong. I'm just curious to know because there's been players throughout time who have fought for the integrity of the tennis player, the financial gain of the tennis player, the representation of the, of the tennis player, and they've had so much backlash from the tennis associations. And I see this as another example of potential retaliation because, it, you know, like I said, it's it's a country club sport. There are gentlemen, gentlewomen, gentlemen mostly, white, wealthy men who control the sport from day one. And they certainly had their perspective when it came to other players, lesbians playing tennis, tennis players who were yelling and shouting and causing a scene, John McEnroe, mm -hmm. black players playing. Uh, and, and I think I, I, maybe we're the first to talk about it because I haven't heard anybody else bring this point up. But I wouldn't be surprised if it is potential retaliation because he fought to unionize players and making and helping for better conditions in tournaments. Well, the more you say it, the more it sounds likely to me. Conspiracy. So, yeah. Okay. So, are we done? We're good? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. I think that uh, there's plenty of tennis talk. Um, round real. Set one. Okay. So... We'll have to do it again sometime. Maybe bring in a guest, another another player, yeah. another enthusiast, another tennis junkie yeah. for a tennis talk. I agree. All right. Well, it was great. Uh, in the meantime, get out there on those courts, smash some balls, have a great time, play with the kid, enjoy it. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye.